Before we get started, I just want to mention something. I heard a quote of profound wisdom recently. Here's how it goes. If you're in a hole, stop digging. (laughs) That is deep. The reason I I bring that up is last week I started digging a hole. (laughs) Oh. No, this is no allegory. This this is a reality. So I started talking about the fact that I was a Baptist Pentecostal and I, I went to go running down this road or digging this hole when I suddenly realized that if you're in a hole, you better stop digging. <laughs> so the reason I bring that up is if when you hear me make comments that maybe I don't expound on, and you wonder what I mean because you have a particular aversion to Baptists or to Pentecostals (laughs) or something like that, I I just want to tell you, feel free to approach me and talk to me about those things, okay? Because I, I don't normally get defensive about things. I just love the truth and I want to know it. Are you with me? So uh, I'm happy to share with you my perspective about anything, period, whatever it is, okay? And you, you can approach me physically. You can send me an email. You can, you know, if you have questions about anything you hear me say, please feel free to approach me. I would prefer that I answer your questions rather than leaving you confused, okay? So... Sometimes I go on rambling or chasing rabbits and and I uh, need to stop digging those holes before I get in trouble. <clears throat> so uh, I just wanted to mention that. Um, with that, let's pray. God, our Father, Lord, we enter your gates with thanksgiving in our hearts, God. We thank you and we honor you and we bless you. We enter your courts, Lord, with praise. We praise you, God. Lord, you're awesome. You're you're mighty. You're profoundly beautiful, God. We praise you. We glorify you. And we long to be like you, Lord. God, how we want to be like Jesus. And so, Father, we ask today that through your word and by your spirit, you would make us like Jesus. That you would impart to us the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That we might possess them and own them, God. That they might change us and that we might be like you. We thank you for the privilege that we have to gather in this place to freely proclaim your word. We ask that you would impart to us the hearing ear and the seeing eye. We thank you for your work in us through your word and by your spirit. Because of Jesus' holy cross. Amen. Okay. I'm going to hit this button over here.
So uh, if you made the conference this weekend, I'm sure you enjoyed it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Those of us uh, that were there um, didn't hear any bad reports. But uh really got me to kind of chewing on the content of our lesson and so on. And, and uh, I want to tell you that we've been in a series talking about the Savior and the cross and the gospel. And I was hoping that would be a nine-month series and that when we finished up this last part of the year, we would really be getting to the gospel, which... Um, for me, is really kind of like the iron fist that is behind the velvet glove of all the things we've been learning. And um, But unfortunately, our nine months has kind of flown by, at least unfortunately for my eagerness to want to preach the gospel. Um, but what I have uh, intended to do now, and therefore, is to go ahead and carry it on into next year, starting in September and so we're going to start then really looking at the gospel. And I think because of that, it's going to afford us uh, an opportunity to look at it much more comprehensively, which I'm excited about. So uh, probably redevelop the lo- lower part of that outline and uh, probably expand on it a little bit. Um, but I want to give you kind of a foretaste of what we're talking about, because you see, all these things we've been learning about the person of Jesus Christ, who he is, and, and the work of Jesus Christ, what he has accomplished, all of that stuff is the content of the gospel. But the gospel is the message of it all, and how it is communicated to it to us, and how it is applied to us. And so this, of course, is an area where the devil is busy at work trying to confuse the matter, complicate the issue, and so on and so forth, when really the gospel is a very simple, simple thing. It's a simple concept. And and, uh, as we've seen in many ways and shapes when we've been talking about the atonement, it really is rather simple. It's a substitution. And in other words, Jesus lived and died in our place. And uh, as I had stated before, the right answer when you get to heaven and you stand before God, right, is Jesus died for me. And that's the merit that we have before God. And that's the thing that earns us the favor of God. But it's not just the death of Christ. It's also, of course, the life of Christ. Amen? Amen. So, um, with that, we're going to take off with our, our lesson here. I want to read to you. This came in my email this morning. It's a quote from a, a website I found called Of First Importance. And it's just a website that's kind of meant to preach the gospel to us every day. This was today's reading. The Justification of Sinners. And this is a, a little statement from the Gospel Coalition. If you're not familiar with the Gospel Coalition, you should be. Um, And uh, if you just go to Google, type in Gospel Coalition, click there, you'll wind up on their website. It's loaded. It's loaded. It's a great place to to go and learn. But this is from their uh, confessional statement, Article 8. And this is what it says. The justification of sinners. We believe that Christ, by his obedience and death, 
fully discharged the debt of all those who are justified. By his sacrifice, he bore in our stead the punishment due us for our sins, making a proper, real, and full satisfaction to God's justice on our behalf. By his perfect obedience, he satisfied the just demands of God on our behalf, since by faith alone that perfect obedience is credited to all who trust in Christ alone for their acceptance with God. Inasmuch as Christ was given by the Father for us, and his obedience and punishment were accepted in place of our own, freely and not for anything in us, this justification is solely of free grace, in order that both the exact justice and the rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. We believe that a zeal for personal and public obedience flows from this free justification. And to that I want to say, Amen. And so, if you will, we're talking about this atonement. We're talking about this great doctrine that we've looked at in regard to what Christ has done, the work of Christ in reconciling us to God. And we've said that that is a substitutionary work. It's a vicarious work. It was personal for us. And that Jesus was our substitute. He died in our place. He lived in our place, a perfect life of righteousness. And that this satisfied or appeased or propitiated the wrath of God due us for our sins. And that because of that, it removed our guilt and it is therefore expiatory. And that this has brought about justification before God. So that now God has a legal basis on which he can declare us righteous. And, uh, and that Christ literally himself was a sacrifice given for us. He was a payment. And that payment redeemed us. It's redemptive. It paid the price that was demanded by the justice of God for sin. So that that price is fully met. It's fully paid for. Jesus was a ransom in that sense. And that all of this was salvific. This is what saved us. It's this work that Jesus has done in regard to our sin and relationship with God, which has brought about this reconciliation, whereby now we are no longer alienated from God and God is no longer alienated from us. Instead, our relationship with God has been restored. And that's what we call reconciliation. Well, all of these things we've been discussing that Christ has worked for us, if you will, are contained within the gospel. And they're all truths about how we live and how we relate to God and how we walk and live in Christ and in his gospel and in his work that he has accomplished for us. And so this is kind of what we've been talking about here in wrapping up the atonement is how do we apply it to our daily life? What do these things mean to us in regard to how we live? And so, if you will, one of the uh, greater examples that we looked at was, you know, Romans, um, Romans 8 verses 1 through 3 says, 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so, if you will, the gospel has set us free. The atonement has set us free from the condemnation and wrath of God. So now we're free. Amen? And there's no condemnation. So there's no reason for us to live under guilt and shame and condemnation for sin. Instead, in, in freely confessing our sin and acknowledging our sin and acknowledging what Christ has done for it, we have nothing left but to rejoice in what God has done. Amen? Amen. And so we're filled with joy over the things that God has done. The Christian life is a life of joy. It's not a life dominated by fear. It's not a life dominated by the, the fear of death and the fear of wrath and the fear of punishment. Family, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath to the dregs. There's none left for you and there's none left for me. We are now only in the favor of God. Period. Are you with me? Okay, well, so let's talk about that a little bit and how we apply this to our daily life because one of the realities of Christian life is we're still in the sanctification process, aren't we? Because of that, we still live in a body that's subject to sin. We still have minds that are polluted with the sinful nature. And so we're tempted and we're drawn away by lusts. We're drawn away by all kinds of temptations which are evil and wicked and cause us to struggle with sin. Amen? Yet the life of God has been imparted to us in regeneration. We've been born again by the Spirit of God. And now the very life and character of God lives in us by His Spirit. Amen? And so there's this great war. There's a spiritual war taking place inside our hearts and minds every day. Amen? Amen. And so, in this war, okay, your weapon is what? The Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. Who is Jesus Christ? Are you with me? He's the living Word. He and His work and His Word, which brings to us the vivid descriptions of all that He has done is that weapon that we wield in that spiritual warfare. So that every time that devil comes accusing, right, the response is, it is written. Amen? And what is written? (laughs) There is therefore now no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. You devil... Go hide under a rock somewhere. Your words are nothing but murmuring and clanging cymbals in my ears. Amen? I'm in Christ Jesus, my Lord. My salvation is complete. My righteousness is perfect before God. Amen? And so, uh, more than this, the whole life of Jesus is an example for us. Not not only of, of what we believe, but how we practice, how we live, what we do, what we long for, 
what our passions, what our affections are. Are you with me? And this is why Paul would say something like Colossians 3 to us. He would say, he would say, set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. In other words, think about things of the kingdom. Things like love and peace and joy and how you can be reconciled to people around you. How you can serve and love and care for people. How you can give your life and your money and your time and your talent as a sacrifice to benefit others. Which is the great example we have of the cross. Amen? And how we can love our neighbor as ourself and thus fulfill the entire law of God. Because love is what? The fulfillment of the law. Amen? Now that we have all of these things in Christ, we look at those and those are the things now that motivate our life. Those are the things that become important to us. Those are the things that become the focus and the drive and the passion and the purpose that we live. Are you with me? If you keep wallowing in your sin and in your shame and in your problems, let me tell you, your life's going to be filled with depressing, cloudy struggles of dark despair. Are you with me? But there's no reason for us to live there because the kingdom of God is a, is, is a life of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen? Romans 14.25 So, we have to understand that in the work of Christ we have victory over sin. And this empowers us to live in the freedom of the Spirit. Does that scare you? Or does it sound like something that's liberating? Are you with me? I know, at times it seems too good to be true. That indeed all of my sins have been washed away. And drowned in the deepest part of the sea. And removed as far as the east is from the west. You know how far the east is from the west, right? (laughs) Amen. Infinitely far. The twain never shall meet. And in Christ, never again shall your sins be remembered. That's what God says. I will remember their sins no more. Amen? And I will cause them to walk in my ways and fear me with all of their heart. This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. Amen? Ezekiel 36. So then, I want to just kind of remind you with this last point where we left off last week. We were talking about how we apply the atonement to our daily life. But this last point is that of reconciliation. This is at the top of page 59 on your handout. Reconciliation is the restoration of relationship of mankind to God. Or stated another way, Christ reconciled us to God and repaired the alienation we once had with him. Okay, So that now our relationship with God through the cross has been restored. He's now Father. He's no longer angry, holy God. Amen? Are you with me? I know that many of us don't really understand holiness. We've heard so little about it that we're really not very afraid of it. 
But I promise you, the more you learn about it, the more there is cause to fear. And if you just think for a moment of what the horrors of eternity in hell must be like under the furious wrath of the Almighty God in eternal punishment, using the words of our Lord Jesus, there is much to fear in the holiness of God. Are you with me? Until you have found refuge at the cross. And then there is nothing to fear. But only to revere the beauty of his manifold perfections. Amen? So then, through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have had our relationship with God restored. Not only this, but we stand in God's favor because of him. We now stand in Christ's perfect righteousness holy, blameless, and beyond any reproach. Now, family, those are biblical words. Look with me at Colossians 1.22. It's right there on your handout, page 59 at the top. There the scripture says, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's how we are presented to God in Christ. Holy and blameless and beyond any reproach. That means you and me if you're in Christ. And that daily struggle that you're having with sin, let me tell you, you need to be reminded every day that you are holy and blameless and beyond any reproach in Christ because what he has done for you. You with me? It's hard to grasp, isn't it? It's hard to grasp. I don't know about you. My struggle with sin is great. At times, my pride seems to be stacked as high as the mountains. And I can't imagine the depth of the depravity of the pride of my heart. But I need to be reminded every day that Jesus died for me and he's my righteousness before God. And even though my pride is a great offense to a holy God, in Christ my sins have been washed away. I've been sanctified. I've been cleansed. Past tense. Amen? Are you with me? Are you with me? Okie dokie. Consider then that since God has loved us with such an amazing love, how we should embrace his love and return to him. Now think about this. I want you to just think about this for a minute. The truth about reconciliation, okay? We've been reconciled to God. What does that mean? Somebody tell me. What's it mean? We were alienated from Him. And? Now we're not. It was restored. What's been restored? Our relationship with God. Our relationship with God has been restored. We've been reconciled, right? His alienation from us because of our sin and our alienation from him because of our sin, we've been restored. We have a relationship. Are you with me? And we know from our lesson on reconciliation that this is something that God brought about. God reconciled us to himself, right? That's what the scripture says again and again. The scripture says that. So, Think about how God's love is initiating and how God has initiated this thing of reconciling our relationship to himself. And he's the one who has reached out to embrace and love us. That has been God's 
work in the cross. He has reached down from heaven to embrace us rebel sinners. Are you with me? Now, I want to ask this question. Knowing this truth, what should your response be to God for that for that reaching down to embrace you? I'd like to suggest that it is a warm embrace back to Him. Are you with me? Because that's what relationship is all about. Are you with me? And And so, if God is reaching out to embrace us and relate to us, Shall we not reach back and embrace him and relate to him? Amen? And this is what the scripture says. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Amen? We love him because he first loved us. And God demonstrates his love to us in the cross. Amen? God has made a a demonstration publicly of his love for us. So how should we respond? We should embrace him. We should embrace him. We should return his love to him. Since God has reached out to us and embraced us, shall we not embrace him back? Indeed we should. Let us consider how profound God's grace is in forgiving and reconciling us to himself. And let us cherish his love with a devoted life of worship and thanksgiving. Are you with me? This is how you respond back to God. A devoted life. Treasuring His love. And treasuring His person. And treasuring His cross. You understand what that means? It means those things are valuable to you. And you live your life like they're valuable to you. You understand? This isn't just some abstract thing that we think in our minds or that lives in the deep part of our conscience and we come and we talk about it on Sundays. This is something that defines our life. Christ is our treasure. He's our all in all. He's everything to us. The cross is precious. The blood of Jesus is precious blood. It's valuable. Are you with me? I promise you it's more valuable than anything you can possibly think of. And so this is how we respond to God's reconciling love. We cherish his love. We cherish what he's done for us and we show it by a devoted life of worship and thanksgiving. You know what that means? It means you devote yourself to worship. You're a devout worshiper. Are you with me? You know what it means to worship, right? Worship is to ascribe worth. So if you're devoted, if you're a devoted worshiper, it means you're continually and constantly ascribing worth to God. You're saying, Lord, you're valuable to me. You're valuable to me with the way I spend my time. You're valuable to me with the way I spend my money. You're valuable to me with the way I spend my talents and my hands and the resources of my life show that I'm a devoted worshiper of you, God. Are you with me? And how does that flesh out? It's real simple. It's not complex. Love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? Okay, so then, I want to point out this truth to you about how to take this atonement, this substitutionary, vicarious, sacrificial, salvific, redemptive, reconciling atonement. What do you do with that in your daily life? Okay? 
Well, you remember that that atonement and that grace of God is greater than all of your sin. It's greater than all of your sin. And God is glorified in the fact that His grace is greater than your sin. So what do you do? You glorify Him for it. Let me tell you, you're not deserving of it. So like a humble beggar who has received a kingdom, okay, all you have now to do is to lift up the cup of salvation and rejoice in it and drink it in and be thankful for it. Are you with me? That's what the kingdom of God is all about. It's about glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. Are you with me? It's really rather simple. It's not complex. But let me tell you, His grace is greater than all of our sin. Dear reader, consider that if in fact you are a Christian, having trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, then the reality of God's forgiveness for your sins is true, objective, and eternal. Okay? Listen, if you're in Jesus, then your sins are forgiven. Are you with me? That's true. It's according to fact. It is a reality. It's real. God's forgiveness for your sins is real. Your sins are forgiven. Oh, believer. Oh, believer. All your sins are washed away. Do you believe it? It's a glorious reality. It's a glorious reality. Shakes me to the core of my being. But this reality is objective. It's not subjective. There isn't anything that changes the forgiveness of God that is in Christ. It's immutable. You can't change it. If you're in Christ, your sins are forgiven. It's not like your feelings. They don't, it, God's forgiveness doesn't ebb and flow like the tide. You understand? His forgiveness is like He is. It's an everlasting rock that's immovable. It's a truth for you to anchor your soul into. Are you with me? It's objective. It's outside of yourself. The forgiveness of God is in Christ Jesus at the cross. It is outside of you. Are you with me? Therefore, it doesn't change. It's not like shifting shadows. It's always there. It is an unchanging reality that is objective. It's not subject to the way you feel about it. It's not subject to how strong or how weak your faith is. Are you with me? A little tiny mustard seed of faith. The most minuscule measurement of faith you can imagine is enough to possess Christ's atonement. Are you with me? Which means your sins are forgiven if you're in Christ. Okay? And some of us have strong faith and some of us have little itty bitty tiny weak faith. But the guy with strong faith and the guy with weak faith, let me tell you, both of their sins are forgiven. Are you with me? Okay. It's objective. This means that the fact is your sin is forgiven by God and you are free from it completely. 
Consider that no matter how great your sin may have been in the past or how great it is now in the present, if you believe in the Lord Jesus and his atoning death and this with a repentant heart, God's grace is much greater to forgive you than his law is to condemn you. This is the glory of God's free grace. Are you with me? This is because Jesus' atonement for your sin is absolutely perfect and complete. And this is what Romans 5 says, verse 19 and following. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. And the law came in that the transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does that mean? Here's what it means. God's grace is greater than your sin. That's what it means. So, you know, we could think about how wicked is our sin, how vile is our sin, how, how great a struggle we're having daily with our sin, overcoming our temptations, overcoming our, our wicked responses to God and the wicked things that we think about and the wicked things that we say that come out of our mouth and the wicked things that we do. And even though we loathe those things and we struggle against sin, let me tell you, God's grace to forgive you is greater than his law is to condemn you. And you need to be telling yourself that every day that you live. You know what it's going to do? It's going to make you hate your sin with such a, with such a profound hatred that you're going to struggle with everything that is within you to put it off. Because you're so thankful to God for His glorious grace that all you want to do is honor Him with your life. And you want to honor him with your words. And you want to honor him with your actions. And you want to honor him in the deepest part of your heart because you love him because he first loved you. Amen? And that's what the gospel does. The gospel motivates us by thanksgiving. And it humbles us. It humbles us. I just read that to you out of the Bible. It says where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Do you believe it? It's hard to believe. But where your sin increases, if you are in Christ, where your sin increases, God's grace abounds all the more. That's what the Bible says. Amen? That's why we sing. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The mountain of God's grace abounds all the more over the molehill of our sin. Are you with me? So, just to qualify that, sin is serious. More than that, it is dangerously deadly. But God's provision for our sin in Jesus is more powerful to forgive than His law is to condemn. You understand? That's what it means to be in Christ. That's what Paul says. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. Right? That I might be an example of God's unlimited patience. You understand? Paul was a Christian killer. He hated Christ with everything that was within him. 
Are you with me? And yet God's grace was greater than all of Paul's hatred toward him. Amen? And Paul's life is a testimony to it. Is it not? Just like yours is. And just like God's grace and his gospel and his word and his spirit are changing you and transforming you so that your life is now a testimony of God's free grace. Amen? And the overcoming power that God has granted you over your sin, which, which is manifest in your life every day and in increasing measure, right, is a testimony of God's free grace and the forgiveness of your sins and his super abounding grace being greater than your sin. Amen? Well, this provision for, for our sin in Jesus is more powerful to forgive than his law is to condemn because Jesus has met both the penal sanctions and the preceptive requirements of the law. It is fulfilled in Christ and we are in him. Remember how we learned this thing, right? That in justification, there's two sides to justification, right? One is sin has been atoned for. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, but he also lived a perfectly righteous life on our account. And so that is imputed to our account, that the perfect life of Christ's righteousness is also imputed to us, so that we are not only saved by his death, but we are saved by his life. And this life has perfect merit in the sight of God for us. Are you with me? That's the doctrine of imputation, right? And so we have to remember this and we have to continually tell ourselves this. And this is how we overcome guilt and shame and condemnation in our life so that we're not always afraid of God and we're not always estranged from God and we're not always hiding in the bushes with guilty Adam when God comes around. Are you with me? Rather, we're openly embracing him with arms of love and gratitude and thanksgiving. And we're walking with God our Father in our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? The gospel tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the question becomes, will we believe our feelings and our emotions or will we believe Christ Jesus and his gospel? Are you with me? C.J. Mahaney in his book, The Cross-Centered Life, gives us a word about how to beat condemnation. Here's what he says. He says, here's how to beat condemnation. Confess your sin to God, then believe in him. Exercise the gift of faith that God has given you to believe that Jesus died for the very sins you're being condemned for. The punishment he received was for you. His resurrection is proof that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice. The sins of your past and the sin you just committed were all atoned for. You need carry their weight no more. You can't do it. That's why Jesus did it for you. Being freed from condemnation doesn't require that we forget or deny the depth and depravity of our sins, whether they are sins committed prior to our conversion or sins committed since our conversion. 
In fact, if we want to know the joy and gratitude that the woman at Jesus' feet experienced, and he's referring to the woman who was crying at Jesus' feet and wetting his feet with her tears and washing his feet with her hair. Okay, that's the woman he's referring to. He says, if we want to know the joy and the gratitude that the woman at Jesus' feet experienced, we must start by acknowledging and owning up to our many sins. Paul called himself the worst of sinners. Listen, he wasn't paralyzed by condemnation. He was exalting God's grace by recognizing his own unworthiness and sin as he marveled at the mercy of God. You understand? Here's what CJ's saying. He's saying, what you need to do is own up to your sin in the sight of God. This is how you deal with condemnation. Right? Okay, so let me give you an example. Um, you know, I'm, I'm at work and I've had a stressful day at work and I come home from work and I come in the door and, and uh, you know, I trip over the carpet on the way in the door and the, the, the kids are making racket and the dog's torn up something in the house and I come in there and, and I blow my top and I'm angry and I bite somebody's head off. and then so I I hurt my precious wife or I hurt one of my precious little children with angry words that came out of an angry heart are you with me and I go back in the closet and I take my tie and my coat off and I hang them up and I'm in that closet and I'm thinking, you wretch. You been with me? Yeah. You been with me in the closet? Yeah. You wretch. You're full of anger. God has forgiven you. And yet you're full of anger. Are you with me? And you're struggling with that sin. And this is what CJ tells us on how to deal with the condemnation that flows out of those kinds of actions with us Christians. You go back out there and you find that precious wife or you find that precious child and you say, I'm sorry, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. And you say to God in your heart, Please, God, forgive me once again. Just like you did the last thousand times. Are you with me? And you own up to that sin. And you say, I'm an angry sinner. I can't believe how wretched my heart is. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. God, please help me. Are you with me? And you own up to that sin. And you take full responsibility for it. Okay? And then you remind yourself that God's grace is greater than all of your sin. And that the Father's provision to cover over your sin and to wash you and to make you whole and to make you new is complete and it's perfect and it's full. And then you rejoice in the fact that God has done this thing for you. Once again, are you with me? And you remind yourself that those sins are drowned in the deepest part of the sea 
And it is the glory of God's free grace that your sin has been drowned in the depth of the sea. Are you with me? And that's how the gospel heals a sinning Christian. Because you've owned up to it. You haven't, you haven't swept it under the rug. You've accepted full responsibility for it. And in so doing, you have agreed with God concerning your sin. It's heinous, it's evil, but it's under the blood. Are you with me? That's how we combat condemnation. That's how we combat guilt and shame. You know, you do that a few hundred times. (laughs) Pretty soon, you start getting the hang of this thing, you know. You come in the door, you trip over the carpet, and you say, oh, shucks, it's just a little carpet, right? And the dog is torn off the arm off of the couch, (laughs) and you say, ah, it's just a little, it's just a little couch. And then you think, patience, patience, fruit of the Spirit, Right? Right? (laughs) You don't kick the dog. (laughs) Are you with me? But pretty soon your mind, you know, you struggle with sin long enough, your mind starts getting saturated with the mind of Christ and the gospel. You know, this is why we got to keep our nose in the Bible every day. Blessed is the man whose meditation is on the law of the Lord and his delight is the law of the Lord. That's what, he, that's what he treasures. That's what his affection is. That's where he longs to be. And so his mind is always filled with these kinds of things. So he comes in the house and his mind is set on things above. He's thinking, I'm walking in the front door. Here's another opportunity for me to love my wife and love my kids and serve my family and glorify God with my actions. And to speak kind, healing, edifying words that build people up. This is what it means to set your mind on things above. That's how you apply it to your daily life. So you come in the front door and you're a healing, loving minister of the gospel of God. Are you with me? Not an angry, wretched sinner. So you get the upper hand on the battle through this struggle. Are you with me? But the gospel is the kindling that burns in that fire. Well, we need to remind ourselves of this gospel every day. We need to remind ourselves of this gospel every day. I made this little chart. It says the gospel is objective reality. This is kind of a thing that really got solidified for me at the conference yesterday. I mean, I've known this for a long time, but this picture just kind of coming to my mind And I want to explain this to you because I I think this is a truth that will arm you in your struggle against sin. And it will free you to enjoy God even more than you do. And here's what it is. You see, the gospel is something that is outside of us. The, The atonement at the cross is something that Jesus did. It's his merit. You understand? So follow me through this little diagram. Let's start right down here with the believer at the bottom. That's you and me, right? And so when we believe the gospel, 
we believe on our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we enter into union with Christ. In other words, we are in Christ. Are you with me? And so when we're in Christ, we, we get there through the justification that comes by faith. So understand this thing. There isn't anything that you ever did that was acceptable in the sight of God. Are you with me? If you're thinking that, you have a misunderstanding of what it means to believe in Christ. Okay? When you put your faith in Christ, it, it, that salvation comes to you by grace alone, which means it came from God, it was originated by God, and it was a free gift, which means there's nothing you can do to merit it. All right? It's, it's grace through faith. Faith is the vehicle by which you lay hold of it. And that, even that faith is the gift of God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Right? And then you possess that faith, and what do you do? You employ it on the person of Jesus. So it is what Jesus has done before God that is what we're trusting in. Are you with me? That's how it's objective. It's outside of yourself. You're trusting in something Jesus did. Are you with me? Now, what did Jesus do? Well, family, that's what we just spent 16 weeks talking about. What did Jesus do? Right? Well, here's what he did. Okay, you, you enter into this union with Christ, and just, just briefly, three things I want to point out. These two right here, atonement and imputation, you can think about those as just justification. Okay? Justification is the fact that Jesus died for our sins and he met the penal sanctions of the law. The, the wages of sin is death. The penalty for sin is death. So Jesus died and he met that. And then there's imputation, which is that Jesus' life of per- perfect righteousness gets imputed to our account so that now we possess the righteousness of Christ. Okay? So what did Jesus do? He lived a perfect sinless, righteous life and fulfilled the law of God completely in all of its preceptive requirements. So every time the law said do this, Jesus did it. And every time the law said don't do that, Jesus didn't do it. Are you with me? And he met the law, he fulfilled the law completely. So when we enter into union with Christ, we possess this atonement for sin and this imputation of righteousness. So, but here's the thing, it's not my righteousness. And it's not my atonement. It's Jesus' atonement. And it's Jesus' righteousness. Are you with me? So this thing that I'm putting my faith in, it's outside of me and it's an objective reality that's immutable. It doesn't change. It doesn't change with how I feel today. It doesn't change with what my struggle with sin is and how, you know, over the last three months, I, you know, my anger is just going out of control and I just can't seem to get my hands around it. Oh no, God must hate me. Right? No. No. I'm in the favor of God in Christ. I'm completely forgiven. All of my sins are washed away. I have perfect life of, of righteousness before God imputed to my account. Are you with me? It's an objective reality. I'm not trusting in me 
or my ability. I'm trusting in Jesus and his perfect work. You follow me? I'm telling you, this gospel, it's, it's almost too good to believe. But it's an objective reality. It's something outside of me. Okay? And then furthermore, I want you to understand this thing. That when you enter into that union with Christ, and you enter in to Jesus, and Jesus enters into you, okay? You stand before God in the favor of his own perfect son, Jesus the Christ. And you become a son. It's the doctrine of sonship, of the doctrine of adoption, right? We get adopted and we are now the children of God. How great is the love that the Father has manifested to us that we should be called children of God. Amen? And so now we're in this favor of Christ with God. Let me tell you something. God has nothing in store for you but favor and blessing. Can't believe it. It's too hard to believe. I'm telling you. Let let me tell you. This is what the Bible says. It says, God causes all things to work together for the good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. You know what that means? That means every single thing that will ever happen to you in the course of your entire life from this day forward will be nothing but the good design of God for your good and for his glory. God already punished Christ for all of your sins. There's no more punishment left for you. The only thing that's left is the blessing and favor of God. And you say, well, why do bad things happen to me? I'm telling you why. Bad things happen to you so that God can work it for your good and conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. And it's all working for your good. And that's a mystery and it's difficult to understand. And you wonder, suffering is so painful. How can that be, preacher? Well, let me tell you something. I'm looking at the objective written word of God that tells me that everything that happens in my life, including the worst things, work for my good. That's what the Bible says. You understand? It's just hard to understand. It's hard to grasp. It's hard to believe. But let me tell you something. The Bible says that I do have that union with Christ. And the Bible says all my sins are forgiven. And the Bible says that Jesus was crushed for my iniquities. And God's not punishing me. Let me tell you something. Are you suffering? God is not punishing you. He is a loving Father. It's hard to believe, isn't it? God is not punishing the believer. He's conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. You're not living under the condemnation of God. Are you with me? God is working all of those things in your life for your good. Believe it or not, it's healing balm. It's just hard to see when you're in that dark place. What you need in that dark place is the light of the gospel of the glory of God's free grace in Jesus Christ. And you need to remind yourself about it because it gets awful dark in this world at times, doesn't it? Amen? Are you with me? And remember, like we were saying, that this light and momentary affliction is achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
and that our present suffering is not even worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us? Paul says your suffering, however great it is, it's not even worth comparing to the glory. Remember? Remember the little example I gave you where you got this little dot and this is like 80 years of life, that little dot right there. And like eternity is like, you know, 10,000 trillion light years that way. That's what Paul means. It's an eternal weight of glory. It far outweighs any suffering that you, you have here in the here and now. And whatever it is that you're facing as a believer in Christ today, God is using it to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. Carry the scripture through in its context. For God causes all things to work together for the good, for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. And those whom he foreknew, he also did what? Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Right? So what's the context? The context is, in your life, God's providence, including your suffering, take the broader context, go all the way back to Romans 8.18. This is what it says. I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And then he goes in talking about how the whole creation is groaning, right? Waiting for the eager adoption of sons to the glorious freedom of the children of God. And the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings which we cannot utter, right? And then he, he tops it off by saying, let me tell you, God's working everything for your good. And he did all of that, and he foreknew you, and he predestined you, so that you would be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And even all those sufferings that you face that are worthy to be compared, they're conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. And here's his promise. All those whom he called, these he also predestined, and all those he predestined, these he also justified, and all those he justified, these he also glorified. Who shall bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? If God would give His Son for us, won't He graciously give us all things? Amen? What's He say? Starting the chapter out, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I understand, you're having some suffering in life. But guess what? No one's going to bring a charge against those whom God has chosen. You know how the chapter ends? Nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whether life or death or sufferings or or nakedness or famine, right? But in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Amen. Are you with me? Family, that's the gospel. That's the gospel you need to be reminded of every day. Are you with me? If, If... If Jesus and his cross is the central focus of all of human history and the whole central meaning of what God has done in creating the universe, then the central focus and purpose and meaning of our life ought to be in the cross. And this is why we need to live in Christ and in who he is and what he has done. Are you with me? I'm telling you, this is the kindling that burns the fires of Christian life. And if you spend your life ignoring it, you're going to live in misery. But if you spend your life exulting in in the hope of the glory of God that you possess in Christ, your life is going to be what he says. The kingdom of God is of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm longing for a life of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen? God, help us to live in it 
and preach ourselves this gospel every day. Okay? You can read this last page, page 60, and um, basically get the gist of it. Um, the idea is preaching the gospel to yourself every day. And I took, I took uh, C.J. Mahaney in this book I recommended last week, Living the Cross-Centered Life. In there, he's got a chapter on um, how to keep the cross the central focus of your daily life. And in there, he has these five ideas. To memorize the gospel, to pray the gospel, to sing the gospel, to review how the gospel has changed you, and to study the gospel. Okay? And so, here's what he's saying. He's saying... Grow in your knowledge and in your understanding of the gospel and saturate your life with it. Memorize these great scriptures we've been talking about, about God's free grace and his forgiveness and the sufficiency of the atonement to cover your sin and the sufficiency of the atonement to grant you blessing and favor. Are you with me? And you memorize those things and you fill your prayer life with them and you pray those things so that they saturate your mind and you sing those things. And I gave you a couple of Gadsby's there that, that talk about the gospel. Okay? And, um, and then you study the gospel. Okay? And I recommended these books at the bottom of the page there. Some fabulous books there. And furthermore, there's a link right there at the bottom, firstimportance.org, the heart of the gospel. If you go to that link right there, there's a whole section of recommended resources. And over on the right column, there you, you click these pages on these topics, and it brings up all these recommended resources books. And I want to tell you, they are top-notch, the books they're recommending there. So uh, I, want, I want you to go there if, if you're interested in studying and learning about the gospel. Okay? All right. Let's pray. God, our Father, I I pray, Lord, that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart that we might know the hope of our calling, the glorious inheritance that we possess in our Lord Jesus Christ. God, I pray that whatever our struggle with sin may be, Lord, that first you would help us to own up to our sins as heinous as they are, to confess them, God, to you. I pray, Father, that you would then remind us of the precious gospel, the fountain of life that washes away all of our sins. And help us to see with eyes that see, God, your forgiveness and your grace and how it abounds all the more over our sins. God, I pray that we would be a people zealous for good deeds, who are zealous to live a holy life that glorifies you, that's filled with love towards you and love toward our neighbor, God. We thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.